Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is brought to you by Drobo. Use TWIP as the coupon code and get $50 off your new Drobo at drobostore.com. Hey, everyone, we're back for yet another week of This Week in Photography. I'm Alex, and we've got uh, pretty much the standard crew here. Steve's coming in from New York. Hey, Steve. Hey, guys. And uh, Fred is coming in from San Jose. San Jose. Is it raining down there? It's it's really ugly down here, but it's not raining. It's just been misty. It's, it's it, it, no, it's just you know the the sky is one giant softbox. So right, it's, it's beautiful for photography, but uh, a little depressing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ron is in. Well, let me, let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. Uh, Hermosa Beach. Yeah, you are correct, sir. Excellent, excellent. I figured you're not back in Seattle until Sunday. Yes, exactly. See, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to figure this all out. Uh-oh. And we've got Aaron coming in from Virginia. Yes. And uh, is it raining there? It's just cold. It, it is actually cold, which I'm very happy about. Yeah, yeah, very good. Uh, just a reminder that we've got the twipphoto.com uh, linking contest. Uh, you can win a prize package, uh, three of Scott's 88 Secrets books, and uh, one year premium subscription to lynda.com so definitely uh check that out and also on twipphoto.com there is a wrap-up that uh scott put up there uh, state of photography i thought it'd be kind of fun for us to to uh review that a little bit um so we've got uh, you know there was uh, obviously uh, you know digital photography is continuing to grow we had the new releases of the d700 and the canon 50d and and 5d mark ii as well as the new panasonic lx's were those I guess these are, would we consider these cameras groundbreaking? I think uh, for me, the, the two sort of groundbreaking things is the uh, high ISO, you know, being right. able to shoot in total darkness practically, and of course, video. Right. I think both of those really happened this year. And it seems like those are the things, we, we turned some corner, didn't we, between how, how the resolution. And yeah, I hope so. I mean... <laughs> At the very least, it seems like there's an acknowledgement that uh, it's not just all about the megapixels. I think, you know, certainly on this show and, and a lot of other bloggers and people have started to actually spread the meme a little bit that too many pixels is bad, which I, I love because it mm. sort of pushes back against the manufacturers and forces them to be a little more real in what they're touting. So with that, with with that, with the whole, you know, the, the two big things that came out were megapixels in video, I've heard two sides of the coin that some people say that megapixels are, you know, or not megapixels, but high ISO is more important than video and then vice versa. What do you guys think? I mean, I don't think there's been a better time in the history of photography to be a photographer. I mean, now, if you can see stuff, you can capture it. I mean, with the high ISO, especially these new cameras, you know, the Nikons and the Canons, Mm -hmm. uh, 6400 ISO usable, and and you can make beautiful prints from them. I mean, really, uh, we're here now, and you know it's only going to get better. It's only going to get a little bit cheaper. And, uh, you know, we're lucky to be uh, photographers at this time. 
I think. And I think that while we're weighing, I mean, I know, I know I'm weighing, I'm, this is still the thing that keeps me on the fence between the 700 and the 5D, which is really the two cameras that I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth with, is it is exactly what Fred was talking about, which is the high ISO versus video. And, and I think that these these seem, don't they seem to be the, the thing that people are going to be, I think both of them are going to end up, by the time we get to 2010, don't we think that we're going to see a lot more of those two things in the cameras that we're going towards? Um, so yeah. personally, I personally want both, but my I'm going to favor high ISO at the moment, just yeah. in my needs. I mean, we're still still photographers at heart. Mm -hmm. I think the core of what we do is sort of see visually and see in single images. But of course, you know that is changing, and we're growing, and we're we're moving with it. So certainly, it's great to have the the video aspect within the same tool, but. I, I still think it's weighted toward the quality of the still image. That's, for me anyway, the most important thing. Yeah, and, you know, I agree. I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that I think that, you know, you got to acknowledge the, the post-production side of things. And we certainly have a bit of it when you're dealing with photos. But when it comes to video, you got to acknowledge that if you want to do good video, as in something that somebody else would want to watch, there's a lot of work for post-process in terms of doing an edit. You know, you don't just want to set up a, a long single running camera for the most part I'm, I'm also curious in, in relation to that too you know photographers are getting very comfortable with their post-processing but not as comfortable like Ron was saying with video post-processing and I don't know whether videographers are going to run out and buy 5Ds you know for doing video so I'm really curious to see what starts happening in the video world as photographers you know start stepping into that as because it's on their new camera you know part of me thinks that it's actually going to make it uh, more competitive for videographers because I think mm -hmm. that one of the things there's not that much difference between the way you frame video and the the way you frame a still right and, and but a lot and how you post process it <laughs> there is a lot about how you post process it but a lot of what makes that artsy look or, or something that really grabs you is the same in either one and a lot of times some of the best video photography is allowing the action to go on in front of you and just keeping it properly framed yeah, I think, you know, if you look at uh, the, the trends, like I, I was talking with uh, Nicole the other day, and uh, she was saying that she's, I think she was mentioning that she may be looking at getting into video as part of the things that she submits to iStock as part of her, you know, her, her annual or not her weekly submission. So I think, you know, looking at it from the standpoint of these still photographers that are shooting this stuff already, now they can just slap it on a tripod and shoot that same subject, you know, you know, maybe five minutes of it and submit that as well and increase their revenue. You know, I, I think that's valid. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, I was it's just going to say the bar is being raised uh, in terms of the quality of imagery that's being produced for professionals because of the amateur community embracing all these new tools, these new techniques. HDR provides, you know, landscape results of kind of unparalleled quality up up until then and it's only going to get better so i think as professionals we really have to we can't just sort of sit on the fence we've really got to jump in and embrace the technology and and maybe take it to a higher level i think uh, the point you just made fred about stock photography is a really interesting one because you know anytime the bandwidth's enough so that you can go to a website and have a little short video instead of a, a still frame mm -hmm. and and you can see how that'd be very compelling that even your very standard stock photo kind of shots of, you know, people standing in the laboratory or people standing around in an office kind of thing. If that was just a really short 10 second moving image sequence instead of a 
still frame, I, you know, I could see websites wanting to do that and being willing to pay for it. Well, and I think also the, the thing is, is that for most of those kinds of shots, the real expense is getting the actors there and setting up the shot and putting all that stuff together. So you kind of want to grab both of them while you're there because that's what's really costing a lot yeah. of money and resources. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And now the, it's, the, it's, it's not all about the post pro, you know, the post production. I mean, you know, I, great. Yeah, you, if you know Final Cut Pro, you know Premiere Pro, and you can get in there and edit. But I think, you know, like Ram was saying, if it's just a little segment of video, you know, it, that doesn't really come into play. You know, it's okay. I'm a photographer now. Now I have this other capability and the space on my card. I'm going to capture this scene of this waterfall in motion. And, and have that as well. Well, I, I know one of the things that I'm, one of the reasons that I'm really interested in the 5D Mark II, for instance, is because we do a lot of coverage of clients, clients for, you know, clients of our clients. <laughs> so uh, corporate corporate uh, videos for people who are highlighting what people who use their software, for instance. And one of the things that, that would be really useful is having, you really want to have these gorgeous interviews. And the thing is, is having that nice, really short depth of field, really high quality lens. You know, the, the lens that I can throw on the front of my, of a 5D is much higher quality than anything I'm going to put on in front of my a camera that costs a lot more than that. Yeah. You know, and, and so the quality of the that image can be much higher. And, you know, with a couple little additions, you can really turn that little camera into a great interview tool. And I think that the, the interesting thing is, is that for a lot of videographers who would be in the sub $10,000 camera range that are buying something for, you know, buying a video camera for less than $10,000, in many cases, they're going to have to compete head to head and, and have difficulty, you know, having their video look as good. Uh, barring the compression issues, uh, as something like the 5D, you know, that is putting out, or even some in some cases the Nikon. I, I could definitely see in the future these long photos kind of taking over, and by that I mean, you know, Andy Warhol in the 60s aimed his little Super 8 camera at someone who was sort of stationary and had these like minute-long clips where the person didn't move, and we're seeing a lot on Flickr these time lapse or these 12-second images. So I suspect you know the future exhibition space will have these digital frames with maybe sort of still images that move. Now, something that you, you started to point to, Steve, is it, it is becoming harder, though, in some ways, because of this technology, because of what's available on a little uh, point-and-shoot camera. It, does, it, does this make it harder to be a professional photographer? I, I think it does when it comes to some of the bread-and-butter type jobs that I think a lot of people are realizing they could take them on themselves. But as far as high-end content and the time you invest in, in taking on a, a really important or big project, um, there's no substitute for that. Uh, it sort of reminds me when Photoshop first came out, people were exploring the different crazy filters and techniques, but that didn't really endure. And, you know, it's the one thing that really endures is just sort of good, powerful content. Right, right. Do you think we'd be having this discussion if the internet wasn't such a factor in everything now? No. For distribution of video and imagery i mean the, the hybridization of the two i think has more to do with the internet almost than anything well i mean it seems like you can what you can find uh, as far as uh, as far as looking at photos uh you know what you see now on Flickr and 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 a lot of other sites is is amazing and 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 much more pre prevalent in, in the same way that we saw that with uh, magazine production and everything else in the early 90s uh, this has really gotten to a point where it is uh, you know everything's at your fingertips uh, you know what used to be stock stock photography that used to be you know 200 300 400 dollars uh, a pop is now you know 3 dollars on on iStock photo 
Right. What I'm referring to also to that someone shooting for a magazine is still shooting stills for a magazine, but someone who's very invested in distribution on the web. Yeah, they can exactly. Distribute video and, you know, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The internet doesn't radically change the experience of viewing a, a photo. I mean, it does to a small extent, but you know what, what the internet brings us is that short form, you know, an outlet for short form video that just right. didn't exist mm-hmm. at all before, you know, it was either long form or, you know, I mean, the shortest short form you had was a television commercial or music video, I guess. But well, I think in some ways we're seeing that coming with the ninety second ability, the ability to post ninety second videos to Flickr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, there when you look at sort of an Avedon print online, I mean, the content is there, and it can be a very powerful image that will move you in some way. But then you go to the exhibition and see them in the way that maybe he meant to have them ex- displayed, and that is giant prints with extreme resolution, even up close. And that brings it to sort of a whole different level, I think. And I, de- I definitely agree. I, I know that for me, in a, in a kind of a, in a miniature way, you know, I just, we finally, <laughs> finally broke down and got cable. Um, you know, I, I haven't had cable for f- 15 years and my wife really wanted it. And uh, what's amazing is, is how quickly, once you start watching HD, that you can't go back to standard def. You can't watch standard def on your TV. And in the same way, you know, when, when looking at any Leibowitz stuff, for instance, on online, it's you know it's a lot of great photos, and it, and exactly what you're saying, Steve. It's, it's such a huge difference when you actually go to you know her her uh, gallery on tour. It's kind of like going to a concert and sitting in the cheap seats versus sitting up close. It's a similar experience, but it's also a thousand percent different when you're close to the action. Yeah. So there's it, a, it, Alex. Yeah. Isn't it interesting how you know you, you just got cable now and you're you know you're in the HD, can't throw it in reverse mode, but you you jump online and you're willing to put up with a lot lower quality from the videos that you see on YouTube just because. They're there, but I think it's for now because even YouTube now is is doing HD. Oh, so I didn't know that. Yeah, so the YouTube now there's there's HD stuff starting to flow onto YouTube, and when you actually look at some of the stuff that's there, you know it's it's pretty pretty uh, eye popping. So so that stuff's already starting to go, and when we get used to that, you know we're not going to want to go back and look at those little videos. You know, so that's I think that I think we're I think once you get used to that, you can, it's harder and harder to go back, but. Mm-hmm. The, the bottom line, I think, with photography, video, any of these other things is that good content is good content and it doesn't matter what, it doesn't always matter what the quality is. You know, people are going to come see a riveting photo, even if it's only at 640 by 480, uh, if it captures some moment that is, you know, that is out there. So, yeah. it, um, but it has to be incredible, incredibly good, uh, or incredibly, you know, authentic or something to get people to come. Anyway, there's more of this on uh, Twip Photo as well as an, an interview with uh, Rick Salmon. Uh, is that right, or is some? Did I did I say that correctly? Rick Salmon. Um, and uh, um, sorry. S a m m o n. Yeah, so the I, audience figured it out. I still know whether it's salmon or Simon. So, so anyway, so uh, so anyway, there, there's an interview there on uh, on uh, Twip Photo. So definitely check that out. Also, if you're interested in getting a portfolio onto iPhone, have have any of you guys seen this uh, iPhone portfolio? This is a Lightroom. Uh, this 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 is an export module for Lightroom that generates an iPhone slash iPod Touch centric gallery. Uh, for people to put their uh, their photos on, have, have, has anyone played with this yet? 
I have not. I just I just saw this in the show notes, and uh, I'm going to download it right now. Yeah. So uh, so anyway, check that out. I think it's it's fairly new. So uh, check it out. Also in the news in the in the ongoing uh, drama of uh, of uh, mistaken identity or or photographers being accosted, uh, we have an Amtrak photo contestant. So this is a person. Uh, Aaron, can you can you fill us in exactly what happened here? Sure, I can, I can tell you a little about what I picked up in the article. Um, Amtrak is, apparently has a photo contest that's obviously very train-centric, uh, where they're awarding, I guess, money or tickets or, or things for photos they select from the contestants. And uh, this contestant was taking photos from the platform, which is where everybody stands to get on the train, at uh, New York City's Penn Station, and was promptly arrested and uh, told that he's you know not allowed to take pictures of the train. And uh, so there seems to be a little bit of a breakdown between Amtrak, you know, promoting <laughs> sending people out to take photos of trains and the police hauling your butt off or standing in the train station. Because arguably the platform is the best place to take a picture of the train. Yeah, he didn't <laughs> feel that he was doing anything wrong, um, but uh, he was cuffed and hauled off before he had a chance to even talk. So, <laughs> wow. I know. I have to admit, I'm, I'm a little obsessed with taking pictures of trains and subways and everything else. And generally, anywhere I'm at, I'm taking pictures of them. Uh, but I, I will admit that if I see a police officer, I don't really know what the rules are, and I just don't pick up the camera. Yeah, it's it's kind of an unfortunate sort of uh, world we live in today, where you know we we just know that those are areas that uh, are particularly sensitive. But it is kind of ironic, uh, you know, that they're having this contest and this poor guy is is arrested. Uh, <laughs> He, she should, should really get should some sort of prize. I know, I know. He, he should definitely, if anyone gets something, he should get <laughs> a free, a seller ride from Boston to D.C. You know, I think, wonder, I think that would I be I wonder funny. if any, anybody got any shots of the actual arrest. That would have been cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, at, at some point, it's going to be almost impossible. I mean, you're talking about the attack of the little brother. Yeah. You know, that you can't really do anything without having someone taking pictures. So There may be uh, still time to buy those uh, TWIP t-shirts. Photography is not a crime. Oh, that, yeah. There uh, you go. Posted on the uh, TWIP website. I don't know if that would have uh, saved you from being arrested. But, uh, <laughs> or aggravated. <laughs> one or the other. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, the, uh, also, uh, some other uh, sad news for photography. JPEG Magazine uh, gets, uh, is, is closing the doors. So uh, by the time this show comes out, I guess their official closing date is monday the 5th uh so if you uh if you're interested if it's still there when this uh, show comes out uh, make sure to download any of the pdfs you want to get from the website take your uh favorite photographer you know t- take note of them make sure to catch up uh make sure to get whatever you need there because i guess the it was not something that worked out i mean this is going to be i think we're going to see more of this over the next year right because we're we're going into the winter economically mm. So, uh, so anyway, so that one, if there's anything left there that you, you, you wished you had gotten and you thought you'd be able to come back, uh, this would be a good time to, uh, to go do that. Now we promised last week that we'd have resolutions. It is the new year. It's the, uh, we're recording this on the second and it's the new year. It's time for us to uh, go through our resolutions. Fred, do you have, do you have a resolution for us? Yeah, I have a couple. Uh, at the top of my list is uh, just food, shelter, and clothing. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not are, asking for a lot. Are you doing the show from a phone booth? <laughs> I thought about it. <laughs> I'm actually in my car right now. No. <laughs> it's a nice car and it's comfy. <laughs> a little cold at night. Yeah, it's very quiet. You can't hear it. 
No, you know, but the basics, food, shelter, clothing. That's, you know, resolving to make sure those things are, are readily available. Um, but, but you know, on the, on the photographic side, I think what I'd like to do in 09 is diversify some and shoot, force myself to shoot different things. You know, a friend of mine that I, I worked with at Adobe, his name is Kelly Castro. He's on Flickr. His, uh, I think his Flickr ID is Kelco, K-E-L-C-O. And he does some amazing work. And it's all, you know, I had him on, I threw a little New Year's Eve party and I had his work, his Flickr stream showing on the, on the big screen in the living room. And people were just crowded around looking at this amazing, diverse stream of photos that just kept popping up. And it wasn't like he was tying himself to any one thing. Like you might see a portrait, then you'll see a picture of a neon sign, and then you see, you know, some fashion stuff. He's just all over the place, and it's all really good. And I was thinking, you know, why do photographers sort of pigeonhole themselves into I am this kind of photographer or I'm that kind of photographer if you have a mastery or at least some competency over composition, lighting, and all that stuff, you can apply it to anything. So my New Year's Eve or New Year's resolution is to break out of my box of shooting mostly people and try to uh, try to shoot a whole bunch of different things and then also post a little personal gallery outside of Flickr on my, uh, on my blog for people to look at. Fantastic. Steve, what, what, what's your resolutions for the new year? Well, aside from organizing my archive and backup system and finally getting that you know, tightly sort of in a, in a place that I, it needs to be in 2009 is the year. My biggest resolution is to schedule, and I've said it before, I'm going to schedule at least two hours a week, which is not a lot of time to, to shoot, to shoot. And I, I'm, it, wherever I am, um, I'm going to sort of, you know, look for maybe a specific project that I can work on when I'm in New York. Um, but it doesn't matter if I can shoot at least a couple hours a week I know I'll be much better off on, on so many levels yeah. because whenever I shoot, that's when I get my good pictures. So uh, I'm just not shooting enough. I'm doing all the other stuff that Fred mentioned that requires you to, you know, so you can have food, shelter, and uh, clothing. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, how about, how about you? Yeah, you know, I, I, I tend to keep a list of uh, a to-do list, sort of any ideas that pop into my head. And, uh, there's a lot of things in there that are sort of I've seen photos or I've had ideas for photos I want to take that gets put on the list and then goes no further. So, uh, you know, my resolution is to go back through that list and actually sit down and figure out out of all these ideas that I've had, which ones do I really want to make happen and, uh, and, and actually do it as opposed to just, you know, sort of having that. It, it's this false sense of security you have of, all right, I wrote it down. <laughs> it, you feel like you've accomplished something, but you haven't really, obviously. Right. Right. How about you, Aaron? You know, I, I hope there's no penalty for repetition here because what I had in mind is a little bit of everything the other guys have already said. But for me, it's partly this year going to be learning to say no to the millions of other things that are coming at me all the time so that I have more time to force myself to go out and do the shooting that I love. But I'll, I'll add that my intention, too, is to try some of the experimental stuff that I've wanted to do for the longest time that I just haven't taken the time to do things like tilt shift lenses and, and other, you know, things that are way outside the realm of the, you know, the kind of rut I've been in as far as shooting on contract for events and other things like that. So it's, it's hard when you make it a business to, uh, to get out there and do it for fun. Mm, absolutely. You know, I think that's the, with anything that I do, I think once I start doing it for business, it's, it's, uh, it becomes more difficult because then it's, that's what it's pigeonholed into is, is work time. So it's, uh, so I definitely, definitely understand that one. I know that for me, uh, my, my number one resolution is going to be to 
to pick a camera and buy it. <laughs> <laughs> this just in, Alex gets off the pot. Yeah, so Alex is going to get off the pot. by the. But wait, Alex, there's something better coming out in just a few more weeks. Oh, yeah, there's some new stuff coming, Alex. You better wait. You know, it would be very easy for me to to uh, to get off the pot if 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 it would it literally is just looking at the ability to have a camera that I could shoot video with versus the high ISO. If 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 one of those things switched over, it would it would have been a simple conversation. Uh, if and uh, but you know the mixture of that has me you know kind of and, and of course I have Canon glass and I don't know if I want to get rid of that to go to the Nikon and so there's a, there's a, but I'm going to get off the pot. So that's, that's that's one resolution. The other resolution, I'm committed to getting all of my photos onto OneDrive. <laughs> mm. So I've been I've been slowly, uh, you know, I have uh, most of my photos at this point um, in uh, uh, on my Drobo, but not all of them. So I have you know ten thousand photos that are sitting on my laptop at the moment. I've got another five thousand photos over here and six thousand photos over there, and so I'm trying to get them all kind of. Uh, collated into a, into one place, and and then <laughs> 2010 will be about organizing them. But uh, so they a lot of them have a kind of a self organization because of the way I brought them in. So they're they're in relatively good organization. But I ha- you know I haven't really separated the wheat from the chaff uh, very well. You know I have groups of you know these are my my son or these are the shots that I shot on the movie set or this is the travel shots. But I don't have you know these are the best photos of those areas and so. I'm committed to, to going through those uh, over the over this year too. So, so anyway, those are those are mine. So those are all of our uh, all of our 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 resolutions. Uh, it's a good time to think about resolutions. So if you're if, if the if the listeners are out there, in fact, the listeners should send us some of their resolutions, uh, some that they think that we might have missed. So um, uh, make sure to send those to us. Aaron, where should they send them at this point? Um, comments on the blog at this point is one place we'll pick them up and also uh, through the email on the blog and uh, we will get them. It'll Perfect. come right into the group here to kick around. So we'll, we'll, we'll share a couple of those. If you have a resolution that you're doing, let us know. Uh, we had a uh, current poll uh, that, that uh, just went through here. Uh, this is looking back on 2008, personal photography. The biggest move was 35% upgrading their DSLR significantly. So 35% of our listeners, uh, which is thousands of people, got a new DSL, DSLR. I guess this was a big year for, uh, for that type of stuff. 22% said, of course, listening to every word of TWIP, which I, you know, I think was very important. <laughs> uh, moving uh, from point and shoot to DSLR was 25%. So those were the big ones. The, the other ones were uh, relatively small. But, uh, but I think that uh, the big ones seem to be moving to DSLR, moving up the DSLR chain, and, of course, listening to TWIP. So, uh, so anyway, we have a, a new poll. Uh, Aaron, can you fill us in on the new poll? Sure. Um, new poll, I think, was uh, Fred's suggestion this week. It's how many megapixels is enough. Right. And uh, I just kind of chose some ranges from the, the models I'm most aware of. Uh, 2 to 4, 5 to 8, 10 to 12, 14 to 22, 22 24 and over. And then megapixels, megapixels, it's all about the competition. Or composition, yeah. sorry. <laughs> it's all about the composition. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I guess that's true. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for 261 megapixels myself. That's mm. uh, not enough. Oh, you know, you, you get a good photo out of that. That's, that's, that's all I'm 262 saying. 262 coming. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> coming in 2010. That's, that's pulled out a little while longer, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> we also have, a, we are going to, uh, 
we're going to announce the uh, winner of humor next week. We're actually going to move it, but we, we're going to start you on a new assignment or get you ready for the new assignment. We're not going to really talk about it much until next week, but we want to give you a little heads up. We're going to move the, the announcement of the winner for humor to next week, but the uh, the new one is shallow depth of field. So this one's a little bit more of a technical uh, one. So the idea is that shoot anything you want, but we just want to see you know what you can shoot in a shallow depth of field. So uh, that's our new assignment for you. So get out there and start shooting. And uh, before we go any further, we want to, of course, thank Drobo uh, for their support. Of course, uh, I think we're all now. We, we this is the, con- the the ongoing saga. I think I think Steve is is all the way set up. Are you are you are you actively droboing, Steve? I'm actively droboing actually as we speak because I'm transferring some uh, fairly large uh, aperture libraries over. It's it's taking hours actually, but uh, this has been going on for a while. But uh, I'm on my way to safety and security by by doing that. So yeah, it's uh, it's happening, and uh, I'll probably be uh, going to drobo number two sometime. So there'll be no, there'll be more drama. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> See, the, Steve, Steve, I've I've learned he starts slowly, but then he just keeps on moving. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's like he has to, he has to kind of get his, but now before we know, we're going to check back with Steve a a year from now and he's going to, well, when I bought my fourth Drobo, you know, it was, uh, I was very excited, but, uh, you know, I'm in the Drobo tower. (laughs) Hey, Alex, I hit a, I hit a Drobo milestone here yesterday. Uh, I was, I was transferring some files and, uh, I saw the, uh, the orange light come on and I got the message. I am running low on free space. Replace the hard drive indicated by the yellow light with a larger capacity drive. So, it, uh, uh, you know, that was just like an indication that look how look how cool this is. I'm running out of space on this drive. I don't have to worry about going to get anything else. I'm going to pop that. I think it's a 250 gig drive that I had in there. Pop that out of that bay, put a one terabyte drive in there and it'll keep humming. And then, and then it just takes a little time to self heal. Yeah, uh, but it's but it's easy and painless. So yeah, it, it is. It, that's that. And that's one of the best things about Drobo is that you don't have to think about your drives because any any of these other options. You know, if you have a RAID five and you want to try to upgrade that, you know, you're upgrading all the drives and you're reformatting it and then you're putting it back together. And here you just pop in a drive out, put another drive in. Call I like it a day. to uh, I like to uh, burn candles, incense while I'm self healing. <laughs> really helps. You process. know, I think the in- incense, and I, I prefer acupuncture as well because I've <laughs> I've seen a lot of Steven Seagal movies, and there's a there's always a lot of acupuncture that goes on there to uh, to self heal. <laughs> you know, and then a lot of hitting of of uh, I like to hit um, pieces of wood. You know, to to I don't know how that helps with healing, but I'm sure that it's somehow connected. But instead of all of that, you can just get a Drobo, and you can get fifty dollars off uh, from the uh, for the Twip listeners uh, for the FireWire 800. Now this is FireWire 800 and USB, and you need to go to DroboStore.com/twip. Is that right, Aaron? Do That's I have that link correct? Dro- Drobostore.com slash twip. And you can, uh, or no, you go to Drobostore.com. I'm sorry, they just changed it and we're just trying to get our, Drobostore.com uh, and then you use twip as the coupon code. Correct. And you can uh, get $50 off, a, which I just uh, took advantage of. <laughs> so I just bought another Drobo. So, uh, and, and I got my $50 off. So uh, definitely check that out. Thank you very much to Drobo. And now we're going to finish up our discussion. We had started a workflow discussion uh, last week. And we're going to finish that up because we didn't really get to all of it. So one of the things that that uh, I think started coming up uh, as we, we didn't quite get to is how do we sort are imported images. So how do you guys go through the, the actual sorting process of your images? 
I'll go first. Did you do, do, do any sorting or are you just kind of just throw them in there in a big box and figure you'll sort them out later? How do you do uh, well, it, you know, I, uh, I, I kind of, I mean, I, yeah, I toss them all into, you know, a big directory. And then for me, I just kind of do three levels of sorting. I just sort of have the uh, not good pile, the, uh, ah, that's all right. I would be interested in seeing that photo again someday. And then the favorites. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of, and what that ends up being is sort of a real practical grouping because the favorites ends up getting, you know, the, the real love and, you know, and it's, you know, like for a long trip or something, I'll come back and I'll try to have a reasonable size number of favorites at top 30 or 40 if it's a long trip, you know, something that can go on a web page, but not be so many that people aren't going to want to look at it. And then my kind of tier two stuff is the ones that I, you know, the main thing I do with all those photos is, is toss them in a slideshow for my screensaver. And I right. have just tons of photos that are sort of my, my tier two, almost like, I remember that kind of photos. And that's just going constantly whenever my screensaver comes up. Anyone else? Sure. Uh, I, I, I use Aperture. And for me, you know, that first edit is sort of a sacred time because you only have that first look once. And I really try and, if I can, you know, really be uh, careful to just kind of look at everything. And I'll just rate the one star Anything that's decent, I, I'll put it one star. I don't delete stuff yet, but I think ultimately I might just delete my unrated uh, pictures because I tend to shoot a lot, and I, I really don't really have the need to, to have. I know there's a debate about you know never never delete, but but I think I ultimately will. So I'll do that one star, and then I'll if if there's that you know killer image that I really hope or thought I got, um, I'll I'll give a four star to that, and I'll basically use the first three stars as just ways to kind of organize. But four stars are the ones that I will keep, um, you know, th- those are my portfolio and contest uh, potential ones. And at the end of the year, I'll go through all my four-star images for the year and then choose, make them five stars, the ones that are really going to be in my portfolio or, or whatever. So that's my, my general way of rating things. That's great. Any, anyone else? Yeah, for me, you know, and I'm, I'm in Lightroom. So the way my system works, if I go in and I, you know, import a bunch of images, the first thing I'm going to do is go through and, and delete the bad ones. You know, I know a lot of people don't delete them, but I do get rid of the ones that are out of focus or composed incorrectly or whatever. Um, and then for the ones that I feel like that I want to work on a little further, um, I will add them to a quick collection in Lightroom. So if you hover your mouse over a particular image, a little circle will show up in the upper right-hand corner of the thumbnail. If you click it, it'll add it to a quick collection. That you know. So basically, I'm going through and picking the ones that I like from that particular shoot. Um, and then after that, I'll go in and... and you know, either edit them, develop them, bring them into Photoshop, do whatever I want to want, what I want to do with them, and then they go into my my favorites folder that uh, sort of drives everything. Uh, but I don't have an intricate sort of rating system other than the keywords that are added to my images. I don't have a good, better, best. It's pretty much a this is everything you have, and these are the ones you like of of your of this particular shoot, and these are the ones that were edited. How about you, Aaron? My process is kind of a combination of Steve's and Fred's, and and I'm also a Lightroom user um, like Fred, so I use the Quick Collect a lot. Uh, Ultimately, after I've gone through everything and and set aside what is useless and picked out what I like the best, I almost always end up with a collection I've created called Selects. There may be multiple ones if I have different uh, reasons for selecting different batches, but that's where the best ones are going to end up. But let me ask you guys a, a question in relation to your process, too. Do you... I mean, frequently you're going to do your editing fairly shoot, you know, 
soon after you've done your shooting. Um, mm-hmm. There's always that kind of anticipation. Do you guys ever find that uh, you do your edits then, and then you come back in a day or so, and your perspective is different um, about uh, yeah. your shots? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's really important. And, you know, it's interesting, too, at the end of the year when I'm right now, as a matter of fact, just going over some of the stuff I've shot. And, you know, at the time, you know, that first edit's important because it's your gut instinct and you make decisions mm-hmm. sort of just based on instinct. But when you've had time and, and, and you've let your, your stuff ferment for a while, then you come back to it, you see things that you, you definitely over, overlooked. And I think it's, it's definitely a smart thing to go back and, and check out and, and look again because um, you know you've changed you may have missed stuff or you've you've you're you're sort of you may have grown visually and noted and and not chosen something for whatever reason and you realize later that this is really a good picture yeah my, my real test for that personally is uh, I took thousands of photos in France when my wife and I were married and had our honeymoon in France and uh, I, Actually, while I was in France and immediately after coming home, I had assembled what, in my mind for five years now, has been three or four hundred shots that define that trip. But there are thousands, and I, I'm tempted to keep to go back to them again now and look at them from a, you know five years later and see, you know, what is my eye like now? What am I going to look at now that I rejected before that that may have a completely different meaning to me? And and one other little thing I wanted to ask too, just very briefly, as far as you guys and your editing process, do you ever open up your unselected stuff to other people to get an opinion? And this may apply most in event photography where you're shooting for a client. Uh, do you ever find that someone else's perspective on something would pick something you rejected or vice versa? No, I don't. I, no one ever, none of the images that I don't want to see the light of day ever see the light of day. <laughs> That's my answer too, but I just thought I'd ask. <laughs> That's like standing naked in front of a crowd. I mean, you don't necessarily want people to see everything. Um, but, well, I don't mean but, the worst know, but, to but the first, but. No, no, but the, here's the other thing I think is really important, especially, you know, because I do a lot of teaching, it's really important to get your stuff out there and have it looked at by someone else who you respect when you're looking for sort of an honest opinion on something because they could tell you little gems that could completely change your perspective on things. I think it's really important to get our stuff out there to people that that know and can articulate their feelings on your pictures in a way that you can understand and use. It, it's, you know, it's usually- I, I've, I've often thought that a really interesting website, a useful website, would be one that lets me put up two photos that I'm trying to decide between. You know, you got two shots of basically the same subject, but the composition is slightly different. And you're just going back and forth. And you're like, oh, I don't know which one I like better. I need to pick one as my favorite, but I don't know what it is. I think it'd be really <laughs> handy to have a website up there where you could just put them both yeah. up and have people vote on, you know, their first... Uh, First reaction. You know, Scott Bourne, who we're missing, I think is is you know he's always thinking ahead, and he's got I think a new website that's just going to start called Scott's Critiques, and he's going to do just that. He's going to talk about images, and uh, that's the kind of uh, you know from someone like Scott to get that kind of information uh, would be would be really useful. Yeah, no, that, I think thinking, that would be good from Scott. Like if you if you got an, an opinion from an informed source, but to open it up and get a ton of opinions, I think that might confuse the 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 or the uh, you know, decision making process more. It, again, you'd have to you have to sort of pre-call it down to just two images, and at that point, then it just yeah. becomes you know. I mean, sure, maybe maybe you'll see that you know fifty point zero zero one percent of the time somebody chooses one image or the other, and you sort of know. All right, fine, but you know that the thing we talked about of that first fresh look. Once you lose that, it becomes increasingly more difficult to sort of decide, you know, what's what's the gut reaction you get off of this photo versus an intellectual reaction, right? No, no. And that's what yeah. something like this would give you, would be you know, other yeah. people's gut, you know, first view reaction to this. Is like, I, I, really I, like would, 
I would equate it to sort of going to the perfume counter, the cologne counter. You know, you can only really smell the first three or four, and then it all gets lost. And with, <laughs> with our images, they, they become so familiar that we can't be objective anymore. Right. Now, well, once, you, once, you, not once, you, once you have imported them, how much adjustment do you guys do to the images? Is it something you do a lot of heavy editing? Do you do light, light adjustments? Uh, do you find that most of your photos are close to what you wanted when they come in or what and what are your typical adjustments to the photos uh, i want to hear i want to hear steve's go first <laughs> okay <laughs> steve he's not going to agree with my my position <laughs> no, fair enough fair enough i mean i'll i'll use aperture and frankly i'm only going to be making adjustments on the images that i'm using i'm, I'm using for whatever mm -hmm. purpose mm -hmm. so certainly the editing editing is important if i'm a little bit off on my exposure and so on, I, before I, I edit, I'll might, I might just sort of batch um, uh, lighten everything if, if that happens. It doesn't happen all the time, but it does. Um, and, and basically, um, uh, the things that I, I do are, um, you know, color correction, of course. So, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of uh, tweak the, the light balance a little bit. And I like to not use the automatic light balance on my camera because... You know, as good as they are, they're kind of all over the place. I'd rather set it to one consistent light balance. So if they're going to be off, they're all going to be off by the same amount. And then I can easily um, uh, lift and stamp a, a thousand images at the same time to the light balance that I, I, I can finesse in aperture. But I'll, I'll pull back on the highlights. Um, if, if, if there is an areas that, that doesn't, where there doesn't appear to be highlights in aperture, I will, um, I will bring them back, uh, using the, um, the highlights and the, uh, what's the other one that, uh, which one? Shadows. Shadows. Uh, well, no, no, shadows, but there's another one in aperture for highlights that, uh, oh, will pull back the highlight recovery and, uh, then maybe, um, open up the shadows a little bit. I'm, I'm just talking from memory here, um. Uh, and, and, and do as little as I can to, to get it to where I want. Now, if I'm printing, that's something different. Um, you know, I might, I, I tend to, if, if stuff's going on the web, I, I tend to like it uh, a little bit more punchy, a little bit more contrasty. So it, it's all about the, the final uh, outcome. Um, I've got these beautiful raw files that I could really do anything I want with them. So it, it depends on what they're going to be used for. Fred, now, now it's your turn. <laughs> so I, you know, I totally agree with Steve. My, my, my stance on it, and the reason I wanted Steve to go first is because I'm I hear a lot of sort of uh, A and B with photographers on uh, the validity or the legality, if you will, of editing and moving pixels around. You know, some people fall on the side of, you know, don't mess with the picture, don't make anything beyond what you could have done in a traditional you know, dip and dunk dark room and people on the far left are saying, you know, uh, pixels were created to be harmed, you know, and I, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I definitely fall, you know, considering my lineage and my heritage, I, I definitely fall on the left side of, you know, the, the image that you capture, at least from my standpoint, that you capture with that, with your camera is the beginning of creating something. It's, it's the raw material. And then from there, you can basically build your piece of art from there. I know some photographer, and, it, and I think it depends. So it depends on if you're shooting photojournalism and you're shooting for a client where you need an accurate representation of what was happening at that particular 60th of a second. You know, but if you're creating something 
that, you know, hey, I'm going to hang this in the living room and I have a red couch in there. So I shot this picture and it's got a red flower in there. So I want to bring that flowers red out more and then I want to darken this. I, I think that's completely acceptable to go in there and use the tools that you have available because they are available to you and, you know, push that image to, in whatever direction you want. I know that I, I tend to approach it as a, I definitely approach photography from a post production point of view, uh, which is that I, I take photos knowing that, that I'm going to do all kinds of stuff with them. And so oftentimes, you know, for instance, when I take portraits, uh, not portraits, but group photos of a bunch of people, uh, I will almost always, uh, either put my camera on a tripod or hold very still. And then I, and then I just run the motor and I'll take, uh, you know, eight to 10 photos of a group photo knowing that I am going to switch. I'm, I'm going to get the best faces out of 10 different photos. <laughs> so, you know, it's not going to be the one photo that I took. Oftentimes it's going to be, uh, that person was blinking and this person wasn't, and this person wasn't, you know, and, uh, and I find it just a lot easier for me and I do it very, very quickly. Uh, in the same way, I know that, you know, I add depth of field. I, or I, or I actually get rid of depth, uh, shorten the depth of field a lot, um, pretty quickly using, uh, Photoshop's focus, uh, or, or, um, uh, no, I can't think of the name of it. The lens blur you know, which has a lot of depth of field uh, pieces to it. So there's a lot of things that, that I know I, I kind of approach it that way. Now, a lot of the photos that I take are behind the scenes and of people and, and so on and so forth. I don't touch them that much, but other than just color correction. But uh, there's a lot of times I approach it knowing that I'm going to take six different photos and they're all going to find their way together uh, over, over time. Ron, how about you? Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely come from the world of uh, not respecting pixels. <laughs> you uh, use them any you use them you're a user yeah beat them down Ron. beat them down <laughs> you make a great point that you know that these days a good photographer should be thinking about what they're going to get out of the end of the process and then i guess that's really nothing new right you know most photographers going as far back were thinking about what they were going to do in the dark room to the to get the final image right but you know for me one thing that i am however kind of uh, uh very concerned with is is i'm very sensitive to digital artifacts. You know, for me, it's re you know, it's really easy for me to spot an image that's been over-processed. And so I will tend not to use things uh, to an extreme just because, you know, I, I, I can I can look at a photo and know that, ah, well, that's a saturation boost or clearly that's over-sharpened, that kind of thing. So I tend not to do that a whole lot. I think, you know, the first thing I, I do on a lot of photos is go ahead and crop them. And I know even that one is sort of a point of religious discussion. You know, should you leave it at its native aspect ratio or, or are you allowed to crop? And I've always been one that, you know, I, I don't believe there is such a thing as a, uh, a golden aspect ratio that you should be trying to live within. And uh, I, I have no problem, again, you know, planning my shots so that I may shoot even a little bit wider than I normally would, knowing that I'm going to be cropping something uh, more off of one end than the other. Yeah. I mean, that whole religious nature of cropping, I mean, I, you know, I've said it before on the show that I, just as a discipline, and I come from, you know, the newspaper editorial world where they crop everything always and, you know, tighter is often better in, in people's minds. But as a discipline, I know it's an arbitrary frame, but I like to live within that frame. And it does give consistency if you're going to sort of show stuff online, a, a body of work. It's nice to have that consistency that doesn't kind of jolt you um, out of, you know, the journey that the pictures are, are taking you on. So I, I try, that's been in recent years, I've tried to live within whatever um, frame that uh, I see in the viewfinder. 
So, Ale- Alex, you mentioned uh, lots of post-processing uh, in your workflow, but what about pre-processing? For example, um, I was out on a photo walk the other day, and I brought along a little water bottle to spritz onto, uh, like, leaves to get the shot of sort of the dew falling on leaves, because I had it in my mind that I wanted the shot of a leaf that had water on it. So I brought my own water, assuming that I wouldn't find one that had water on it. Is that... Do you think that's ethical to do that, or is it? I don't have any. Here's the thing: is I will say that I, I think that if you're doing photojournalism, I, I think that touching, you know, changing the pixels, yeah, uh, is 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 out of bounds uh, generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that if you are anything else, <laughs> I think is pretty much fair game uh, before or before it goes into the into the camera or after it comes out the other end. Uh, you know, the, the the thing that is amazing. I you know, I just spent six weeks on a film set. And what's amazing is to see how much work goes into something that is supposed to look natural. Yep. Yeah. You know, when you're when you're on a film set, there are these twenty by twenty silks that block all of the sun. You know, and, and you know that, that 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 reduce the contrast so that you get these really really nice gorgeous images. And then there's huge twenty by twenty bounces, and then there's twelve k you know lights, and there's five ks, and there's there's all this other stuff that's going on. And it's a huge crew of people that are moving all this stuff around for an outdoor shot that looks like they were just walking down the street. And that's the big difference between a medium sized film and, a, and the $50,000 film you might do in your house, you know, or, or, or the weekend short film that you might do is, is that lighting changes dramatically, but that's all manipulating the light. And it is, it is profound how much that light is manipulated. When we, and when we, when we go out and take photos of people, I mean, we're not, we're rarely going out and just taking photos of them just walking outside. Even finding the right place for them to stand is still manipulating that situation. You know, hey, Fred, Fred, I was yep. just going to say to you that um, uh, I've never used it myself, but it's a trick that food photographers use, and that is instead of just water, they use a mixture of glycerin and water, and that makes drops that just kind of look good in pictures. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, 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 <laughs> There's a photo house in New York that, that sells all of those things, fake ice cubes, and just it, exactly. it's fascinating to even go through that site and yeah. see yeah. all of the things that are available that make things hyper-realistic. Hey, I'm, coin, I'm coining the phrase, coining the phrase today, pre-processing. That's it. <laughs> pre-processing. Process your photo. And, and the, the, one, the one thing that I would uh, suggest, if anyone wants to see, you know, what what it looks like for an advertising uh, retouching, go to gregapadaka.com and uh, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, gregapadaka.com. Gregapadaka. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll send it to you. The If you even get close, I think Google will pick it up because uh, he, he has some before and afters that are that really show you. He spent years and years and years doing retouching. I think he actually, the last time I talked to him, I haven't talked to him for a little while. Um, he was working at Apple, actually working on kind of their whole pre-press system. But the... Uh, but the level, uh, you know, you really get to see what's going on uh, when something like that, when the, the amount of retouching that goes on after a shot is done. Uh, I know I was in a photographer's, I'm gonna, I was in a photographer's uh, uh, location in, in New York and uh, not Steve's, someone else's. And they had a, on their wall, they had this picture of Monica Lewinsky, like the portrait for Vanity Fair or something like that. And it was like the picture and then there was the notes, which is this, you know, red lined. I mean, it's just, it's just covered the, the the image with all these little arrows and things and circles and everything else. And then you see the photo that actually made it to the magazine. And it is, you know, you really realize how little of what you see in a magazine, for instance, is reality. 
Right. And Greg, Greg Apodaca's site, which I just <laughs> went to, it's, it's just earth-shattering. And I've seen it before, but yeah. what you see is not, is not who these people are, uh, yeah. especially the big celebrities. I mean, yeah. it'll yeah. be disappointing to see them in all their glory. Early <laughs> in the- <laughs> yeah, and, and he's, he's, yeah, he's probably one of the most technical Photoshop users uh, in the world. And so, um, and what he's showing there is just a small segment of the kind of stuff that he does. So, I think photographers have just are just now catching on to uh, what plastic surgeons have been doing for a while now, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think we were ahead. I think the plastic surgeons, the plastic surgeons are trying to keep up. See, because the photographers have been doing this. We've been retouching this stuff, and before it was airbrushing, and now it's retouching, and all of that stuff was done, uh, you know, for a long time. And and now what everyone wants is to look like they they do in the magazine or, or yeah. look like people in the magazine. And so I think that, that we should actually get some kind of back end from, from the plastic surgeons. Yeah. Because, you know, we're doing their work for you. We're selling the, we're selling the dream. There you go. <laughs> Could I jump back for just a moment to the crop thing that Steve brought up yeah. as well in the process of Ron and Steve both. I, again, this kind of ties in a little bit, I think with what I was talking about earlier with, you know, our medium being the web and, and versus print media. But, uh, you know, I, I tend, what's burned me in the past is that I'll do event photography and I'll bring in shots and I will crop them fairly arbitrarily to create the composition that looks best. But some of those shots are ending up online where people are making purchases of the shots and it's up to them to decide too whether they want 4x6s and 5x10s and 8x10s and 5x7s and so on. Yeah. And you really run into a, a nasty situation there because you give someone who's a potential buyer the impression of a shot and then they go buy an aspect ratio of the print that in no way relates to how that's cropped and composed. And um, it, it, it's actually been a real problem for me to decide sometimes exactly how I'm going to present stuff if people have the option to buy it in multiple formats. Hmm. Uh, because the composition is going to be completely different, potentially. You're going to lob a head off or, you know, or something in the process of, of trying to meet their purchase versus uh, what was the ideal way to present the photo. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think that the, the hard copy world is lagging behind a little bit still right. with this acknowledgement that there are multiple aspect ratios. And you know, clearly the right answer is you should be able to Pick an image and an approximate, you know, and choose the length of the long side or something like that, and get an appropriately sized image that doesn't have a change in the aspect ratio. But it's oh, not surprising that a lot of places can't do that. And find the layout that makes the most sense for what you're doing. I mean, I think that I know I'm right now. I'm in the midst of. Uh, I got a little behind for my Christmas gifts for my parents and uh, from both sides, which is this uh, one year. So I gave them, you know, I'm giving them this book. You know, I'm printing a a book out of uh, Aperture that has. Uh, that's the, my son's, you know, first year. So I'm, I've been slowly putting this book together. And so I'm, I'm, and what I'm doing though is, is as I lay it out, you know, I, I figure out what layout of each page makes the most sense with the given photos. And am I okay for these to be cropped vertically or am I okay to have these things cut this way or that way? And I think a lot of it is that I think that the, the medium should serve the photos, not the other way around a lot of times you know, when you're trying to figure it out is, is how do the, how do we get these two to get along rather than how do we just jam it into a piece? Now I know with magazines and so on and so forth, that sometimes you don't have that opportunity, but I think that that's, that's how I kind of approach that, that process. And now I think we're going to have to move on to questions. We've got questions. We skipped them last, last week because we talked so much about workflow. Uh, we have a question here. This is from Cam's Campbell. And this is a good one for Fred. Um, this is, uh, I'm about to upgrade my aging PC with a new processor, motherboard, and RAM. My question is, does the latest version of Lightroom take advantage of quad-core CPUs? And, uh, and he said, I've searched the net far and wide, and I can find no conclusion. 
they did not search far enough because I read that question and did a quick Google search on it, and it brought me to Tom Hogarty's blog, uh, which he's the uh, the product manager for Lightroom. So he, uh, it's a good place. It's a good source. <laughs> manages all the features and all that stuff that go into the application. And someone posed that question. Their question was, can someone from the Lightroom team at Adobe tell us whether Lightroom is able to fully exploit all four cores on a quad core system? And his answer was yes. <laughs> <laughs> Short and simple. <laughs> For the image processing, heavy lifting Lightroom will utilize up to eight cores. So there you go. And I know that Aperture uh, is pretty efficient about using up the cores uh, that it that it gets because I know that it fills my cores <laughs> pretty quickly if I do anything that that it needs to work on. So, uh, so it's I think both of them are going to be taking advantage of those things. I think we're going to see more and more of that. I think that as we move into the new year, I think most of the the applications that we're getting around this are, are starting to get more symmetrical. The interesting thing will be to see whether you know other things like OpenCL. Yeah. Uh, the GPU processing, I think, is where it's going to get very interesting. Yeah, because that's going to, I think, ma that's going to make far more difference than finding four four processors or eight processors. Uh, being able to uh, access the GPU to do a lot of this work is going to make a huge difference. Yeah. Uh, now, next question. This is uh, okay. The importance. This is from Carl short and he said uh, the importance of having a fast 50 millimeter prime lens has been discussed several times on your show however for those of us who have a smaller sensor as in my canon 40d would a 30 millimeter lens be better to use than a 50 millimeter lens so what do you guys say aaron my take on it was that um you know, 50 millimeter is, is great, and you're closer to 80 millimeter on that 40D, which, if I'm not mistaken, Ron, isn't that somewhat close to the field of view of a human of human vision anyway? Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of, you just look through your look through your viewfinder with one eye and, you know, and look out at the real world through the other eye, and you can kind of get a general idea for what your natural uh, field of view is sort of like. My, my sense, though, too, is that we were pushing the 50 millimeter more for a couple other reasons. Number one, there are some very inexpensive, even 1.8 uh, aperture lenses that can be purchased. Um, being a prime lens, not a zoom, very much changes how you compose and interact and, and set up your shots, um, which I think is, is great for any photographer just to kind of exercise your creativity. And um, you know, all of those factors combined, yeah. I think yeah, I, I, our yeah. focus has been more on that lens for those factors than the fact that it was 50 millimeters. I, I think that's exactly right. It's, you know, the main thing is get yourself a very fast fixed, uh, you know, fixed zoom lens to start off with. And, you know, as I, I, I bought and have had for years a 50 millimeter 1.4 and, you know, eventually went ahead and got a, a 30 millimeter 1.4 as well. Um, cost a little more. I don't like it as much more from the perspective of the lens than the actual uh, length of it. But, you know, the nice thing about a 50 millimeter on a crop sensor camera is it makes a really great portrait lens. So, you know, I don't know. I think the, the important thing is learning how to shoot with something that has a lot of control over depth of field. Mm -hmm. and in a nutshell I, it had to do with more attributes than it being 50 millimeter I guess is our yeah, the reason yeah. we've talked about that so much Cartier Bresson used the 50 millimeter lens apparently for like 80 or 90 percent of the stuff that he uh, shot and that's you know that's uh, kind of endorsement enough for the 50 millimeter lens I think too that you know I personally like the 35 millimeter angle of view which would probably be like a 24 on the crop sensor cameras um but I think that a lot of people, when doing kind of street photography, a 35 millimeter, you tend to stay back anyway. So the 50 allows you to get in a little closer without 
always physically getting in close. So it's it's a you know good good standard lens. Yeah, I think that the, the reason that I bring it up oftentimes is I'm always so amazed at how much how many comments that I'll get on something that is a fairly inexpensive lens. You know, we're not talking about something that you're spending a lot of money on. With a 1.8, you're talking about generally 80 bucks or 90 dollars, yeah, 68 to 70 dollars for yes. the Canon. So, so you're looking at a, you know, you're looking at now being able to go out and get a Rebel or a or a 40x or whatever you're going to get out there and get a really inexpensive lens and take really good photos of your family. You know, that's the. I think that's it. Once you get more serious, there's a lot of other uses for a lot of other lenses. And I, you know, I find myself uh, generally switching. You know, I think all of us are switching between two or three or four lenses. You know, on a given shoot or anytime we're using it, I'm, I'm constantly moving through them. Uh, but I, I know that when I'm taking pictures at home of my son, most of the time, what I have on there is just a 50. Now, I will say that um, I have been looking at my brother's 1.2. Uh, he's got the 1.4 and I have the 1.8 and I'm afraid that I'm going to, as soon as I figure out what camera I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy the 1.4 because it's, I think that the quality of the image is, is higher. It, it's, it's really nice. And it's also, I mean, at least on the Canon side of things, the, um, the 1.4 is a little faster focusing. Which would be nice. Yeah. That's, that's another thing that, you pay for. Yeah. Once you get used to that, like, ah. Oh. When it comes to those fast lenses, the, the talk always switches to bokeh. And I know that the new Sigma 50mm 1.4, the new Nikon's got a new 50mm 1.4 lens, and uh, there's a lot of talk about you know what it looks like with the out-of-focus stuff in the background, which could make also a, a nice difference. And generally, those expensive fast lenses uh, often give you a really nice bokeh, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the, the, next, uh, the next question that we have here, and this is a bit of a legal one here, and this is uh, from Kevin Barringer. And he said, I have a legal question. My, my nine-year-old nephew plays Little League, and I have taken quite a few photos of him. I, I would like to take f- pictures of his, all of his teammates and put them on, on a site and give cards to the parents after the game, saying they can go and purchase photos of their kids playing, playing in the game. Uh, would a release be required for something like this? Um, I just think it would, it would take something away from the process rather than, um, uh, rather than giving them a card uh, to, you know, um, or having my brother-in-law tell, uh, tell other parents to go to a site to order uh, pictures from the day's game. I, ha- um, I have to say, here is a signed release, go and order it, you know, so on and so forth. So the question is, is, is does he need to release everybody uh, to do that kind of work? Mm. Does anyone know? Well, I think that uh, Aaron in his show notes kind of hit it, and I'm not a lawyer, although I do play one on TV. Actually, I don't, but I, I think that definitely, if you talk to the the coach and and the the you know let him know he's taking pictures, you don't really need a release until you do something with them. Now, I guess putting them up on a website is doing something with them, but I think if you have the permission of the coach, who might be able to informally tell the parents that there's a photographer that's going to be shooting some stuff, uh, I, I think that would be okay. A sign release is always the best thing to have, but I, I think it might be a little bit of overkill in, in this situation. If you have the permission of, of the coach, who will inform the parents. Any other thoughts from anyone else? Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I'm sure there's, a, you know, there's, there's legal guidelines on this, but from my just sort of overly cautious self-talking, if, they're, if you're selling something, A, you're, you're getting some revenue in from it and other people appear in it, um, I, I would think that you, you need to have a release to 
be able to sell their images, you know, because if I'm in an image, if someone takes a shot and I'm at some place that's not public, you know, like it's it's an event, arguably, a, a, you know, one of these little sporting events would be public. But if I'm in that shot and so I see this photo for sale somewhere, I may not be happy about that. So I don't know. I would just err on the side of, of releasing everybody on that one. Yeah. So, you know, and it's one of those things that I think the other sensitivity in general <laughs> that you have to be careful of is anytime you take pictures of people's kids. Oh, yeah. Um, things, you know, the, the uh, volume starts to turn up, you know, so I mean, that's, that's a given. I mean, you don't want to be sort of, you know, the weird guy taking pictures with the long lens who's not related to any of the kids in the uh, in the in the game. But yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, I think that most parents would be happy to have uh, an yeah. opportunity to at least look at some of these images and and maybe purchase them. But but Fred's right. I mean, this is the world we live in. Sadly, uh, you know, it always better to err on the side of caution. But I think this would probably work out if you talk to the coach. Yeah. Yeah. So next question. Better yet, better yet, Alex, talk to a lawyer. Yeah, talk to a lawyer, <laughs> not us. Yeah, exactly. We just gave you, we just we gave you a, a very diffuse answer to yeah. something that we're we're not totally sure of because I, I think that the the law around it isn't totally clear either. So I think that that's part of the part of the issue because it would theoretically be in a public place, but then you're selling them, and so it goes back and forth. So definitely, uh, we'll, we'll try to do some more research and return to that. But I think that yeah, talking to a lawyer would be a good idea before you start going down that path. The uh, the last question we're going to cover today is from James, and he said that hi guys. Because I shoot with a Pentax K10D, mainly out for outdoor photography, but all of my images seem to be underexposed, causing me to add another stop uh, to the exposure. It's nothing bad, and I can and I, uh, that I can't fix in post processing. But I'd like to know if all my photos came out looking reasonably. Uh, I'd like it if if they'd all came out looking good, reasonably good uh, from the camera. Am I asking too much? Uh, and do any of you have the same problem? Is there anything I can do to fix it? Uh, and uh, thanks. So, uh, so what do you guys think? What's his problem? I, I'm betting that it's um, the way he's got his metering set. Yeah. But it, depending on, I don't, I don't know the Pentax specifically, but you know most cameras have different ways of sort of choosing what you're metering in the scene. So you, got, you know, out of here, the entire frame that is in the viewfinder, there's the camera is sort of putting different weights or different importance on uh, how much is being factored in to set that exposure automatically. And a big problem with outdoor photography is that sometimes you have you know, really high dynamic range shifts across the field of the frame. So if you've got something really bright in the scene, the camera's gonna try and compensate for it um, and, and potentially make your images look darker than they should be. So I bet that he's got it set so that he's metering too wide of a, a field of view, and he should probably dial in something that gives him closer to a spot meter, and then just meter off, you know, what he wants to get exposed properly. Anyone else? If James wants to follow up with us, I'd, I'd love to know whether he has a sense that they look good on the camera, on the screen, but he's disappointed with what he gets out of the camera when it gets to the computer. Yeah, and, and one of the that ways you can look at that is, is to look at the histogram. So most of these cameras right. will allow you to turn a histogram on, and what you want to look at is if it's looking too dark, that histogram should be very heavy to the left. Mm-hmm. So you, you won't see any data. You'll see a flat line at the bottom, you know, at the bottom on the right side of your histogram when you're looking at it. And so if that's happening, uh, that means it really is underexposed going into the camera. It's not it's not fully uh, exposing 
uh, as far as the camera is capable of. And so that's, I think, one of the things. I know that I just was talking to someone taking photos and they were they were shooting everything too dark. And it turned out that one of the things on a lot of these cameras, and I'm not familiar with the Pentax, but you can very easily, I know on a Canon, you can very easily turn the exposure down <laughs> without without knowing it. Like if you're an aperture priority, you can you can hit you can roll the the back dial, and before you know it, you're you've you've uh, compensated one way or the other when you thought you were adjusting something else, and it can happen yeah. very quickly. The and then you're issue. shooting a lot of stuff underexposed or overexposed. And it, it, annoyance aside, with him wanting things to be less you know involved in the post processing, it, it generally from my experience, and if you're shooting raw especially. Um, the way I understand it, most sensors are much better in the mid to high range than they are in the low end. So if your shots are coming out dark and you're having to boost them, you're probably introducing more noise by trying to open those shadows up than you would be if it were the opposite situation and trying to you know take it down a little bit. Except for clipping, overexposed. Well, clipping to a point. Too. Yeah, because once you once you clip the once you clip a digital image, I mean that's that's the one thing we okay. give up when we go from film to digital is that yeah. film was very forgiving if you overexpose the image uh you know there's still data that's hidden in there whereas with digital if you if you go over you're over you know and there's right. no, there's no data there and so i think you you clip faster in the shadows than you do in the highlights if i'm not mistaken uh, overall not 100 percent sure of that but i but i think that uh, the the main thing is making sure not to looking at that histogram and making sure that you're not going over uh, that area. I think that, you know, if, if you're only getting half the histogram, for instance, you're going to really have a problem no matter what, Certainly. no matter which, which, which direction it goes. Um, uh, anyone else? No, no I think sometimes the camera on automatic, I mean, sometimes, you know, the, the meter can be sort of off across the board. So um, if, if that is a consistent thing, he checks with the histogram back home or on the camera, he can just use an exposure compensation um, to put it to plus two thirds, for example, right. and then yeah. everything will be given an extra boost. Right. So there's, there's the questions. If you've got questions, go up to twipphoto.com. Let us know what they are, and uh, we'll get to a couple more next week. Now, next week is Macworld, and a, a bunch of us are going to try to get together and uh, and do a show there. It'll be a little bit Mac, Macworld-centric, but I'm sure we're going to have a general discussion about photography. Uh, Macworld is not really photography world, so, uh, so there'll be a little bit of everything, but uh, we're definitely going to cover anything that we might see at Macworld that might uh, be useful. And uh, as we uh, come to the end of this, uh, do we have any uh, any good tip for the week? Does anyone have a good tip for the week they'd like to share with everyone? Wow. I, f I forgot about the tip of the week. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it's resolution. I'm, rack I'm racking my brain for a tip of the week now. <laughs> you know, make some resolutions. I'm sure we can all think of some and try and stick with it. I mean, there's lots of good photo photographic resolutions uh, that we could learn from. Yeah. I, I have a I have a recommendation. I, not not as so much as a tip, but it's a recommendation. So I had to rapidly frame some photos to uh, to put on a wall in my house before guests came on New Year's Eve, and uh, I bought some really inexpensive, amazingly nice looking frames from IKEA uh, that uh, were really easy to put together. You know, I wouldn't recommend them for you know gallery prints or anything but they uh they they're black they come with a mat in them and they were you know i got them in in reasonably large sizes so uh you know that would be a tip is to uh print some stuff up relatively large head over to ikea and get a couple of frames and stick them in there and hang them on the wall hang your hang your work there's a good tip mm -hmm. i have to that's something i'm trying to uh trying to get to is actually put put some of my photography actually on the wall 
yeah looks, it, it's, it's different you know it's just different seeing seeing a print especially like a large black and white print that you're proud of framed and matted and hanging somewhere you know it's like wow i did that so i know i just got my um <clears throat> i just got my parents the east darling the new one and uh so that's uh it's got video now too this is, this is the video revolution. And so, but, but I did look at it going, wow, it's really small. It'd be kind of nice to print something really big. So uh, that does, that definitely sounds like a, like a good tip. So where can people find you, Fred? People can find me on my blog at frederickvan.com. It's F-R-E-D-E-R-I-C-K, van.com. Or they can follow me on the Twitters under the same name, Frederick Van. Steve, where can people find you? Um, well, actually, uh, next week I will be at Macworld on Friday giving a day-long workshop, uh, digital Ooh. assignment in San Francisco. Should be a lot of fun. And on Thursday I'll be talking a little bit about my work and about Aperture also at Macworld. So, uh, yeah, if you're at Macworld, please uh, come by. I expect there will be quite a few uh, TWIP listeners aside from ourselves there. Absolutely. Ron, are you coming up for Macworld? I have not decided yet. <laughs> oh, come Something on, Something like Ron. pushing it right to the end. <laughs> I will. Get off the pot, Ron. <laughs> I'll get off the pot sometime midweek to next week, probably. Yeah, yeah. So where can people find you? Uh, digitalcomposting.com is my blog, and on the Twitters at Ron Brinkman. And Aaron? Uh, you can find me at my blog at halfpress.com, or on the Twitters as well as halfpress, H-A-L-F-P-R-E-S-S. And maybe at Macworld, Aaron? Maybe. Maybe. I'm, thinking about it. I'm with Ron. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to wait until Tuesday and see if anything was announced that's worth coming to see. Is that? I think that's the that's the whole plan here. Just trying to figure out what my schedule looks like for that real world job, you know? Oh, yeah. Picky, that's actually picky. more my factor, too. So. Picky, 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 picky. So uh, anyway, until next week, take that lens cap off. Go out there. Take some shots. <laughs>